every now and again, God has a way of arranging circumstances and situations to remind you that he is God. To remind you that he's in control even when the whole world seems out of control. You see me here right now, but if you could have seen me through the week or if you could have seen me this morning, you would know that I've been out of control. Things that I could not control, just kind of moving from one evolution to the other, always reacting, always reacting to the moment, never in command of the moment. And so here we are even today. I find myself in that situation today, but I believe that what God is trying to show me and perhaps even you, because he knew that I was going to come and be forthright with you and be honest with you and share these things with you, even when I did not know it. Perhaps he's trying to let us know that he's in control. That he's in control. Because if you look at our situations, our day-to-day situations, at times you've probably wondered, and I know I have, God, as a people, are you in control? Because it seems wherever you look all over the world, black people have are getting the short end of the stick. God, are you in control? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'm here in this moment, and Lord, I'm I'm naked. I stand asking that you would clothe me now with your righteousness and with your wisdom. I stand here asking that you would forgive me for the struggle that I've had. I ask that you would do this for me, God, but not just for me, but that you would do it for your people because they've fought through the rain to hear a message that's going to lift them up and bring sunshine in their life. And because they've been fighting battles too. Because life has been pitching them curveballs too. Lord, this is your moment. I'm admitting up front, God, that I'm limited. But you, Lord, you said that you are unlimited. You're omnipotent, omnipotent. So, God, this is your turn to sh- time to show up and show out and keep your word. And I thank you, Father, for what you are about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I go uh, further, what can I do this next week? As we're closing out Black History Month, I think it is very important, and I, and, uh, I think it's very important that we place something in your hands. Some people would ask why Black History Month is important. And I've had people ask me, what is the significance of Black History Month? I've had people ask me, what is the significance of Caribbean Day? Why do we, you know, have to hoop and holler and just say, oh, we all know we're black. 
But why is it important to take a month to say and talk about our blackness? Why is it important for uh, our Afro-Caribbean brothers and our African brothers, as well as us African-Americans, to talk about where we're from and the experience that we've had as a people? I'll tell you why it's important. Because if you do not know, well, let me just say this. I love Brother Butler. Don and I are good friends. But I would be an idiot if I didn't know anything about my personal family history and I had to rely on Don to tell me about my own family. How foolish would I look? Don could tell me anything if I didn't know anything about my own family. Hmm? And I wouldn't know. He could tell me that I was adopted. And that probably wouldn't be the case. But I wouldn't know any better. I would look like a fool. So then it is important for us to know our history because if we do not know our history, people can say anything they want to say about us. As a matter of fact, they can even do worse than that. They can say nothing about you. Black History Month was established because Carter G. Woodson, when he went to, when he, when he graduated from high school, he started high school, I think he was like 20, 23, but he graduated in two years, and he was focused because he went on to get a Ph.D. from Harvard. But while he was there, he realized that when it came to the being in the history books, that African Americans had no presence in the history books. None. None. No history. Even though we had been in this country from its very beginning, even though the very first American to shed his blood for this great country of ours, and it is a great country, flawed, yes, but it is a great country still. But the very first person to shed his blood in the American Revolution and give his life for this country was an African American. Did you know that? And African-Americans, Americans of African descent, have sacrificed their lives and shed their blood in every single war this nation has ever had and have done so heroically. And yet, there was no mention of us in the history books, in films. There was a short clip I wanted to show you with Bill Cosby. And it talks about... Um, and Uncle T and it talked about the, the portrayal of African Americans uh, before basically 1959. Up until about 1959, there were very few roles for African Americans. And the whole industry was basically uh, controlled by our brothers, and they are our brothers, of a lighter you. And so anytime an African American was portrayed on film, it was always written by a white man. And so you would see black men and women on the plantation just happy, bugging their eyes. Yes, sir. We just are happy to be here. And particularly the men. Anytime it showed an African-American man, it had no redeeming qualities about him. Nothing that would be attractive, and particularly to a woman. We were always cast, and particularly in Uncle Tom's cabin, we were, the, we, we were cast as uh, basically just lecherous men that 
wanted to be on top of a white woman every chance we get would steal, lie. And you know that's still going on today. You remember the OJ thing? Hmm? I was like, whoa, where did OJ get that tan from? When did he get that tan all of a sudden? When they wanted to show him when he became a suspect? Somehow darker and more menacing? So African American History Week is important because if you do not know that you are in a struggle, you can never overcome. And we are in an ongoing struggle. We've made great strides, and while we as Christians should strive for the ideal of loving everyone, we also have to live in the reality that everyone does not love us. That is important. The other thing is, if you do not know who you are and appreciate yourself, you can get messed up badly. The other clip I wanted to show you, and if you ever get a chance, go on YouTube, and uh, if you're not familiar with this speech, Malcolm X's speech, You Can't Hate the Roots of a Tree. And he talks about how because we did not know our history and our language was taken from us. And because we lived in a society where the portrayal, because we didn't know anything about our history, every time they portrayed us to ourselves, and anything connected with Africa, it was always negative. So much so that even we as African Americans of African descent began to despise and hate Africa. Come on, be honest with yourself. There were times you might have been around your uh, employees or somewhere at work, and something with Africa came on, National Geographic, and they never showed the sophisticated Africans. They always showed the ones out in the tribal, thing with the bones through their noses, and you would kind of cringe a little bit inside. And so we began to disassociate ourselves with Africa. But when you do that, you begin to hate yourself. Because if you hate the roots of a tree, you're going to hate the fruit of a tree. Huh? You will despise yourself. We'll try to slim our nose and put fade cream on at night. Brothers used to conk their hair. Huh? And so some may come and they may say, well, why is it necessary? I mean, are you being militant? No, we're not being militant. I don't believe it's being militant, but I do believe you can love yourself because until you love yourself you, uh, properly, you cannot love the other children of God. Until you as an African violet can say, I'm a beautiful African violet, then you cannot really appreciate the beauty and diversity of a rose or the fragrance of a rose. I'm not player hating on the rose. The rose is beautiful. It has some qualities that I don't have, but I, as an African violet, have some qualities that the rose does not have either. Glory to God, because he does all things and makes all things well. Twice that we concern ourselves. What impact does what happened to them have upon us? Number one, first you have to realize that up until 1959, Africa was dominated by the colonial powers and by the colonial powers of Europe having complete control over Africa, they projected the image of Africa negatively. They projected Africa always in a negative light. Jungles, savages, cannibals, nothing civilized. And, well, and naturally, it was so negative until you, it was negative to you and me. And you and I began to hate it. We didn't want anybody to tell us anything about Africa, and much less call us an African. Uh, and, and, uh, and in hating Africa, 
And hating the African, we ended up even hating ourselves without even realizing it. Because you can't hate the roots of a tree and not hate the tree. You can't hate your origin and not end up hating yourself. You can't hate Africa and not hate yourself. And you show me one of these people over here who have been thoroughly brainwashed, who has a negative attitude toward Africa, and I'll show you one that has a negative attitude toward himself. You can't have a, you can't have a negative attitude toward yourself, a positive attitude toward yourself, and a negative attitude toward Africa at the same time. To the same degree that your attitude, that your understanding of an attitude toward Africa becomes positive, you'll find that your understanding of and your attitude toward yourself will also become positive. And this is what the white man knows. So they very skillfully uh, made you and me hate our African identity, our African uh, characteristics. And you know yourself that we have been a people who hated our African characteristics. We hated our hair. We hated the shape of our nose. We wanted one of those long dog-like noses, you know. Yeah. Uh, we hated the color of our skin. Hated the blood of Africa that was in our veins. And in hating our features and our skin and our blood, why we had to end up hating ourselves. And we hated ourselves. Our color became to us a chain. We felt that it was holding us back. Our color came to us, became to us like a prison, which we felt was keeping us confined, not letting us go this way or that way. And we felt that all of these restrictions were based solely upon our color and the psychological re reaction to that would have to be that <clears throat> as long as we felt imprisoned or chained or trapped by black skin, black features and black blood, uh, that skin and those features and, and that blood that was holding us back automatically had to become hateful to us. And it became hateful to us. It made us feel inferior. It made us feel inadequate. It made us feel helpless. And when we uh, fell victim to this feeling of in ina inadequacy or inferiority or helplessness, we turned to somebody else to show us the way. We didn't have confidence in another black man to show us the way or black people to show us the way. In those days, we didn't. We didn't think a black man could do anything but play some horn, you know, some sounds, and make you happy with some songs and in that way. We, but when, in serious things, where our food, clothing, and shelter was concerned, and our education was concerned, we turned to the man. We never thought in terms of bringing these things into existence for ourselves. We never thought in terms of doing things for ourselves, because we felt helpless. And what made us feel helpless was our hatred for ourselves. One of the things that made the Black Muslim Movement grow was its emphasis upon things African. This was the secret to the growth of the Black Muslim Movement. African blood, African origin, African culture, African ties. And you'd be surprised. We discovered that deep within the subconscious of the black man in this country, he's still more African than he is American. He thinks that he's more American than African because the man is jiving him and the man is brainwashing him every day, telling him, you're an American, you're an American. Man, how could you think you're an American and you have never had any kind of American treat over here? You have never, never. Ten men can be sitting at a table eating, you know, dining. And I can come and sit down where they're dining. They're dining. I got a plate in front of me, but nothing is on it. Uh, because all of us are sitting at the same table, are all of us diners? I'm not a diner until you let me dine. Then I become a diner. Just being at the table with others who are dining doesn't make me a diner. And this is what you got to get in your head here in this country. Just because you're in this country doesn't make you an American. 
And no, you got to go farther than that before you can become an American. You got to enjoy the fruits of Americanism. And you haven't enjoyed those fruits. You've enjoyed the thorns. You've enjoyed the thistles. But you have not enjoyed the fruits. No, sir. So I point these things out, brothers and sisters, so that you and I will know the importance in 1965 of being in complete unity with each other, harmony with each other, and not letting the man maneuver us uh, into fighting one another. I say that again that I'm not a racist. I don't believe in any form of segregation or anything like that. I'm for the brotherhood of everybody, but I don't believe in enforcing uh, brotherhood upon people who don't want it. As long as we practice brotherhood among ourselves and then others who want to practice brotherhood with us, we practice it with them also, we're, we're for that. But I don't think that we should run around trying to love somebody who doesn't love us. Thank you. I'm not trying to make you black Muslim, make you militant. I'm just trying to make you understand the importance of knowing your history and, and having a proper self-image of who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Even while we're all together, some do not understand the significance of this month. It is important that we properly understand the significance of this month so that we can go out and make a difference as African-Americans or whoever you are. I think every person should be proud of their culture. Do you know that there is a salvific context to your culture? And what I love about it is Paul being the educated erudite that he was. Paul having that sharp mind. Paul had a mind. Like, you know, what? what uh, uh, while, while Malcolm was in the middle of the speech, Joe came over to me and he was talking about the kind of physical resemblance between him and Barack Obama, our president. And I was sharing with him that, you know, he, that Malcolm was a little bit tall. Malcolm was about 6'5", which is why when he came up against other black leaders, uh, they didn't really like to go up against him. They didn't play well against him on television because, for one thing, Malcolm had almost a military bearing. He always stood erect and he was tall, 6'5", and he had a chiseled face. And uh, as Ozzie Davis said, Malcolm was our black manhood because he spoke the straight anger, though eloquently, to the man that a lot of other black, you know, we, we coded a little bit in this, and Malcolm would just come direct and bow. So he was, he was that manhood for us. He said what a lot of us wanted to say, but we couldn't say to authority. He said it fearlessly. That's why we loved him. That's why you loved Ali. That's the truth. That's what we loved about him. Even those that were a little more conservative, or that, but, but they loved that man. Put it to him, Malcolm. Put it right to him, and he'd get up there and put it to him. Um, but they didn't, you know. So, but he was taller. He was taller. But uh, <clears throat> and so even Dr. King, they were saying they want. You saw in the picture that Dr. King was was shorter. But they were two sides of the same coin. You, you do know that. And even in in our in the context of our church here. There is sometimes between the uh, Africans and African-Americans and, and the Afro-Caribbeans, and I'm going to speak on it, because if you don't speak on it, it stays a dirty secret in the closet. But I've had African-Americans come to me and go, what's Caribbean Day? They love the food, but they didn't understand the significance. And I had, Af and I had Af Caribbeans come up, Black History Month, the whole month? What? We have to know about each other and the journey that we've had. We're family. We've all, our ships landed in different ports. But it was the same, although some things were a little different, and you won't appreciate the differences in us, even though we're from the same one blood, same stock, 
But yet there's some differences in us because our experience has been a little different. All around the world, let me just explain for you that are African, uh, Caribbean or African, let me explain to you a little bit about your, your siblings here in America. Wherever we've been at different times, I would say within the last 600 years maybe, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, we have been um, out of power. But the difference that you've had in Africa and in the Caribbean that we, your brothers and sisters here in America, have not had. In Africa, they always had, they had the language and they had the history. They had, depending on where you were, they could look and see the ruins and see the reminders of the greatness. And so that always encouraged them that these shackles of circumstance were just temporary. Hmm? In the Caribbean and in Africa, the other thing that you had that we did not have here in America, you had the power of the tribe. What do I mean by that? That even though you may not have been in power, you were numerically superior. So you were encouraged. You could go back and be encouraged when you was down. You had the power of the tribe. And so you would look in Africa and you would have the language. You would know that this is your land. And you would know that, okay, this is a situation today, but it always has not been. And you had numbers. You saw your people wherever you went. On the islands and in South America and Central America, you had some of the culture. But if you had nothing else, you may not have had power, but you had numbers. So in Jamaica and in Central America and in South America, when, 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 when the, um, I forget the term for it now, what's the, 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 the Africans that rebelled? What was the common name? It was a, um, what was it? Not mulattoes, the what? The Maroons, thank you. When the Maroons said, look, we're having enough, we're going to overthrow the man, what did you do? You chased them up to the mountains. There were too many of you. And they left you alone. <laughs> they got their little ships and snuck out and left you alone. You could retreat up into the mountains in Central America and there would be received by the Indians or just have a whole tribe to yourself. We didn't have that here. We didn't have, we didn't have our language. We didn't have our name. We didn't have our history. We didn't even have the memory after a while. So when they told us that we were nothing, we began to believe it. And even when we tried to rebel, I remember when we had the first time that you and I said, let's bring them together, and we did the thing about how wherever Africans landed, they fought for freedom. And I remember when Pastor Brian, when he saw it, he came to me and he said, you know, when he saw about the Underground Railroad, he said, man, I always kind of felt that the American slaves were kind of weak because they didn't try to rebel. He goes, but I didn't understand the structure was so strong. You see, it's going to be strong when we had, we were the minority. And so even when Denmark Visay gathered 6,000 slaves, now that's a serious number, and tried to lead a rebellion, they had more numbers and technology and crushed them. So Black History Month was important for us because all of that time in America, it was like we as African Americans were waiting to exhale. And it wasn't until the Civil Rights Movement that we could take a breath. And so I want to encourage all of you today to take a breath and breathe and feel good about yourself and remember what God has done for you because there's a context to your salvation. 
Paul talks about it in chapter 17. Paul is here, and this is where Paul gives up, and he's, he, he's, in, he's in Athens, and he's walking through the crowd, and in Athens, that's where all the edu- Athens was a cosmopolitan town. Athens was the metropolis of the time. It was a cultured place. It had schools of learning, and everybody would come that had anything to say. The philosophers from the east and, and from all the different parts of the Roman Empire would come to Athens, and they would just test their mantle, iron, sharpening iron, and they would share, philosophize with each other. And Paul was there, and Paul, man, being who he was, couldn't pass that opportunity by to share with them Jesus Christ. You do know that the gospel went into Africa before it went into Europe. You you do know that. They would tell you that the first convert uh, outside of Israel was, uh, they would tell you that it was, um, I can't remember, the brother Cornelius. He's the first European convert. But there's a treasurer that Philip meets on the road, the Holy Spirit sent him, who was the treasurer to Candace, from Ethiopia, who was reading the book of Isaiah. Africans were reading, and not just reading their books, but were reading other people's books. Linguist, huh? was an African. And he said, hey, man, I'm reading this thing, but I don't understand all the intricacies of this. He goes, but you being Israel, you know, you being Jewish, maybe you can break it down to me, because some things are cultural. And so Paul is there in Athens. And he goes to Mars Hills, and he sees all of these idols to different gods, and, and he's trying to figure out, now, how can I bring this new God that they've not heard of, the real God, how can I bring it to these people in an interesting way? And then he sees this altar to the unknown God. So you've got to be creative in how you reach people. You have to know how to reach people. Okay? Many times what we try to do is we try to reach people out of their culture. We go, well, God's universal. Just reach them out of their culture. Just tell them about Christ. That's powerful. But if you package it up, you can't separate a person from his culture. That's who you are. Hmm? So Jesus saves us through our culture. You, you do know that. If Jesus came back today, he wouldn't be talking about a sower went forth to sow. Who knows about sowing? He'd be a brother got on the Internet. Hmm? That's what he would, that's what the parable would be about. He wouldn't come in sandals and and and, and, and wear what he wore when he came around the last time. People look like he, he's a nut. What, you, Charlie Manson wannabe? Who are you? Huh? He'd come probably wearing a leather jacket, dressed like wood, maybe dressed like you, Joe. But he would come contemporary to the time and to the culture. So don't be ashamed. Of your culture. And we try to reach people, taking them out of their culture. You want to reach people? Understand their culture. Understand their culture. You know why, even this morning, as I was thinking, we were going to go out if it was sunny, and I was looking through the our hymnal. Now, in my house, there's two hymnals. We have our hymnal, because we got to have our hymnal. We're at Venice, Right? (laughs) We're you know, I'm a pastor, you know, but we also got to have a Baptist hymnal. Why is that? 
because a lot of our songs are not in our hymnal. Our songs for us that move us are not in our hymnal because our church originated really out of the Methodist and Lutheran. It was a Northeastern church. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. I love those people because if they weren't, if they weren't loving God, I wouldn't be here today. But it's still a culture. You can't separate. Some of the things that we do, even in our churches today, and a lot of the uh, churches now, they're breaking away with that. When you see elders sitting up in the front, you know that goes all the way back to Catholicism. And it's almost we're sitting up judging you. That's the old way they used to do it in a straight rectangular building. Now a lot of churches are in the round, in the, the rostrum. You would hardly even know it was just the rostrum. Hmm? And you might just see a podium there, but that high worship, that, even when the Protestant church broke away from the Catholic church, they took certain things. It's like when you came out of your house, is not quite like your parents' house, but it has remnants. And if the person knows, you'll be able to trace it back because you can't separate your, you from your experience. Hmm? And I just really feel that in this month and in this time while we're talking about that, I want you to understand God loves you as you are. As you are. Some would come and would say, you know, we need to, we, we, you want to be inclusive. I think every church should be inclusive if you're a real church. My house to my guests is inclusive. But I don't go and change my house for the guests that I don't even have yet trying the Lord guest there. I don't go and say, okay, I'm going to take down my, if you went to my house, you're going to see, I'm going to tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see certain things. You go into my, my study area, you're going to see all types of books, Bibles, commentaries. You're going to see testimonies. You're going to see, you're going to see all of those things that you would expect to see in the house of a longtime Adventist who pastored it. You're going to see those things, okay? <clears throat> you're also going to see a lot of African artwork. When you went to Sister McGlover's house, we rolled in there, and I was like, yeah, back to the motherland, back, back to the motherland. Hey, back to the motherland, back, back to the motherland. There was all types of different things. And then there was, she had this book. Was it like in a glass case or something? But it was a book, an old, it was over a glass case. It had Martin Luther King or a picture of Martin Luther King in it or something like that. But that's what you would expect to see. Now, she, I'm sure, invites all types of people to her house, but she doesn't change her house, and I'm not going to change my house for my guest. You want to be inclusive as a church? Be open. I like what Pastor Brian says. He says, you know, look, let's face it. The church on Sabbath and on Sunday morning, keeping it real, is the most segregated hour, is the worship hour. God doesn't trip on that, though. I'm going to tell you why. God doesn't trip on that because people go where they want to go. I believe he calls that freedom of choice. <laughs> That's what God gave us. You understand? And when Paul says that we are to love everyone, as Christians we should love everyone, that doesn't mean that you're going to be buddies with every single person in church. Some of you are going to connect on a very basic level. I love you as a Christian. I'm not going to do you any harm. Are we going to be hanging out and rolling like that? 
we may or may not, depending on our personalities. God doesn't tell you to go out there and try to connect and be super buddy to everybody. That's kind of creepy. Hey, I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, a, I'm your buddy. <laughs> hmm? That's why all of us, listen, 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 this, that's why all of us have to do ministry because not everybody's going to connect with everybody. People always assume that the pastor is going to connect with everybody or the pastoral staff or the elders are going to connect with it. Let me tell you, I can call some people till I'm blue in the face, pray with them on the phone, try to get them, hey, sister, you come on out, come on out. But you call her, hey, girl, what you doing? Look, now you know, you know where you need to be, right? Now, do I need to come and get you? And the next thing you know, she's there on Saturday. Hmm? We all have to minister because not everybody connects on the same level. And a lot of that connection is what you have in common. The things that you have in common are the bridge that we visit soul to soul. You and I connected on a number of things just talking, talking about because philosophically and in, in, in our concepts, we were right there. So then all of a sudden, me and Joe, we'd be at a thing and we'd always look for each other. Hey, man, so what do you think about the blah, 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 And we'd just be there going at it for hours. And then we started working on things together. We started sharing ministerial. Hey, man, I thought of that. Well, look, if God do this, and that's how it, that's how it is. So there's nothing wrong with people going wherever they want to go. And certain churches are going to line up along ethnic lines or class lines. A lot of the doctors go over to Kansas. There's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong and what is offensive to God is when someone comes in that is not of the general makeup of that particular church, any church, and all of a sudden they are made to feel uncomfortable. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then that becomes a problem. You're never going to design. There's no such thing as designing churches. I've got a friend, uh, a pastor that I knew in San Diego, Baptist pastor, and if you went to his church, his church was ghetto. His church was, no, I'm serious. His church Cats, these guys were guys that just a few years ago were doing stick-ups, boom, wearing the mask. I mean, every person in their story had a, had a story. You know, you would go to their church, and in the back they'd be chomping on, chomping on potato chips and, uh, and yoo-hoos. I mean, it was, you know, yes, yes, and red vines. This is in church. You can't get any more ghetto than that, you know what I'm saying? You didn't want to fight his deacons or any of them jokers because they would just roll up. I remember one time they came over so they were thinking about buying our church. This was where David, Pastor Richardson, and I were at New Hope. And we were thinking about getting another building. And so he sent over his deacons. And I'm over there one day. And I didn't know they were coming over. And I looked. And these dudes, man. They <laughs> I was like, and who are you? <laughs> but they were all good guys. But, but we were talking. And he said, you know, when I started the ministry and when I started this church, I wanted a church. I had it in my mind a certain way. Like his father's church more polished, you know, different kind of church. He said, but what I was attracting as a street people, I was getting the pimps and the drug dealers. And, the, and he goes, and at first it was like, and then I was like, Lord, well, if this is what you're giving me, I'm going to do your work. Save souls. You can't design a ministry. We would like to, but you can't. So when people say, you know, and, and we've all tried it. Well, if we do this, play this kind of music, people will come. If you just do ministry and be who you are. And whoever comes, genuinely love them. So Paul is trying to reach these people. He's trying to tell them about Christ. And this is what I love. 
he quotes one of their own poets. Hmm? Let's take a look at that. We're going to keep this short. But he quotes one of their own poets. Paul says right here, and this has been one of them days, I don't even have my glasses with me and my arms may not be long enough. The print may not be big enough, but by faith, we walk by faith. And today, really not by sight. <laughs> and it says right here, Paul is speaking, and he says in verse 28, chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. He's trying to make the argument that, look, I know that you guys are religious because you got all of these idols, statues and altars to all of these gods of your own creation. But let me tell you about this real God. Let me tell you about the man called Jesus. And he starts to break down God. And he says, look, first of all, God is not God that you can put in a box. You can't make God. He made you. If you can put, make a God and put him on a shelf and have him stay there, that ain't God. He says, my God made everything. And he said, and then the driving home, he goes, let me quote one of your own poets. He got into their culture. He used their lexicon. He said, look, if I'm talking to Jamaicans, Paul said, look, let me, let me talk in patois. Hmm? Come on. If I'm talking to brothers that are academic, then let me pull it in and get proper with it. If I'm talking to some guys on 125th Street in New York and Harlem, brothers, look, let me give, can I get real with you? For, can I drop something on you for a minute? If I'm talking to an Hispanic brother, then I need to come back. Whatever it takes, I'm trying to reach you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he gets in because while we're coming now, I'm coming into your culture, but let me get into your thing. He said, look, man. Stop tripping. Go on and read it. He says, because, you know, God made us. He made all the nations from one blood. What is black pride? Black pride is loving who you are and dealing with the truth. Now, can we get with the truth? Because we all love to talk about the pyramids. And while the man was in the cave, we were on the Nile counting the stars, going, how God, how great thou art. That's good. And it's true. And I love it because it's Good and true is like good and plenty, but it's good and true. But if I take what's good and true, I also have to take what's good and bad. If we were the people that built the pyramids, then we were the people that first recorded in the Bible mass enslavement. Ain't nobody saying anything but a mm-hmm. Connect the dots. That's where people get in trouble. They don't connect. They don't follow the dots all the way through. So we love to take a scripture and take it out of context and make it stand by us. What does that mean? We take it out of the whole setup and set up that one text, and we just use it where we want to. People do it all the time. Man does that. We're all dangerous. We've all sinned. We're all one blood. We're all children of Adam. By one blood, we've all gotten in this mess. And by one blood, his blood, we're all going to be. That's the only way out. Your blackness and my blackness won't save you. You're Spanish. You're Asian. Your nationality, your job, those things will not save you. We all leave all of that behind. We've all sinned. So before you get so hard on our white brothers, remember that we've done it too. Hmm? Oh, yeah. And, and let me tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. They do profiling. We did profiling. They went after the males. Hmm. Go back and read the text. 
If it's a male, what does the word say? Huh? That's right. If it's a male, the word said that we, come on, let us deal wisely. Oh, man, the man is running games on us to keep us down. It was that black pharaoh that called his officers together and said, look, let us deal wisely with them. At least they multiply. Because power is never given. It's never shared. Power is taken. That's the nature of the beast. That's the personality and the trait, the characteristics that we've inherited when, we, when our mother and father decided to follow Satan's plan. That's why Jesus, when he spoke to the Pharisees, he said, your father, you talk about Abraham, Abraham is not your father. Satan's your father, for he's a liar and a murderer, and you do the same. So what am I saying? I'm saying be proud in who you are. Because we got to work on two levels. There's a horizontal level where individually we have to answer to God. And then, uh, the, and then there's a, I'm sorry, there's a vertical level where we have to answer and we deal with God. And then there's a horizontal level where we have to deal with our fellow man. Those are the two realities that we live and breathe in. And so as well, we're living here and tearing here. We have to deal with racism. We have to deal with those things. But also make sure, too, that you don't become a racist in and of yourself. I've always found it funny, and I guess one of the things that God has blessed me with, my family's mixed. My stepfather, who I call my dad, is Sicilian, total Sicilian. I can sing in Sicilian through my stepdad, okay? My mother is black Panamanian. I was born in, in Brooklyn, raised in the Bronx. I'm African-American. I've got cousins darker than me, and I've got cousins that with blonde hair, and you see my cousins. And I'm talking cousins, mother's side. And then growing up in New York, I ran with everybody. Okay? So one of the things it's given me is giving me a perspective, but one of the things that's always tripped me out is I've always tripped out when I see black people talk about racism and the man, how they live, and then turn around and go, those Mexicans. Oh, you don't want those Vietnamese in our neighborhood. Huh? Don't you know that that is just offensive as, as, as offensive to God? But then again, God knew what he was doing. Because, see, God knew that all of his children were bad. He said, they got to be bad. They got me in them. One blood. He said, I made them in my image. So if they all get together, oh, evil? They could do great evil. Let me break this foolishness up. Now, we loved that out of Africa. We all started traveling. We did, out of Africa. But it was because God broke up the Tower of Babel, and everybody started going off in their groups and finding their own spot and journeying. And then what happened is, is they broke up, and God instantly changed the language because he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And so when people started talking, they didn't understand each other. They started grouping up and heading out, grouping up and heading out. And as time went on, they forgot that they was ever really connected with each other because they did not want to retain the knowledge of God. So everybody thinks they just showed up and they was the first. And if you're not careful, you will buy into that junk. The only thing that you can stand on is the word of God. You will buy into that, and the devil is so smooth and subtle. I love what Sister White says when she talks about the devil. She said, you know, When you're older, if I'm going to jam you up, I've got to come more subtle than I do with your granddaughter. 
I've got to make that thing so that as you glance at it, you won't even know I'm jamming you up. So Satan comes at the church a little different than he comes at the world. He comes at those that are in their word a little different and more subtle than he does. Huh? That's why he says he can transform himself into an angel of light. So he will get you and me on those things that are so ungodly, but we'll sanitize them in our mind. If we want to be saved, and if we want to show the world who we really are, you got to walk in two worlds at the same time. That's the, that's, that's, that's the challenge of being a Christian. See, we love it. On Sabbath, we can all be holy and good because we're all here to encourage each other, pretty much. And even then, we struggle. But then on Monday and the rest of the week, we got to go out and walk through the devils. We got to earn a job. It's great to sing here and talk about Jesus and everything, but when you get home, the refrigerator's bare. You gotta, it's walking in the two worlds. That's the hard thing. I call it walking in twilight, and I struggle with that sometimes. But if you want to show the children of darkness that you are walking with God, he said, by this sign, men will know. Hmm? Not what tongue you speak. Not even what day you keep. Those things are important. I'm not saying you got to get into the word and work that out with fear and trembling. But by this sign, this is the undisputable sign. The undisputable. People can argue with the Sabbath. They can argue with your doctrine. They can argue with talking. Into, they can argue with those things. They can argue with prophetic messages. But they cannot argue that you have love one for another. That you have love one for another. All have sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. Watch Hotel Rwanda. That's black on black. You talk about black on black violence? Huh? Don't think that if we wasn't left alone, because that's the nature of man, we'll start talking about shades. What side you claiming, bro? Huh? Come on. If God wiped out everything and started from scratch today, one, one ethnic group, it wouldn't take two weeks and that ethnic group would split into two because they'd be arguing over something. Even in your own family. Hmm? All have sinned. Through Adam, all have sinned. Through the shedding of Christ Jesus' blood, we'll all be united, those that want to be united with God at the